Welcome to our third podcast. My name is Sonia Collator and I'm the host of The Color of Us. This podcast is intended to amplify the voices of multiracial and multicultural youth, as well as educate regarding issues impacting this community. Here we highlight expert perspectives as well as members of the community to produce educational material in the hopes of fostering needed conversation. Welcome to The Color of Us. I'm incredibly excited to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Jasmine Mitchell. Dr. Mitchell is a PhD in American Studies from the University of Minnesota and a BA in American Studies from Williams College. She is also an Associate's Professor of American Studies and Media Studies at the State University of New York Old Westbury, where her scholarly specialties include race and gender representation in popular culture, mixed race, African-American and Afro-Brazilians, Black feminism, and race in sports. In addition, she is also a published author of books examining contemporary media representation of mixed Black women in the United States and Brazil. Welcome, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. As our first question, would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, great. You did a great job of the introductions. Uh, but my name is uh, Dr. Jasmine Mitchell. And um, as stated, I'm an associate professor of American studies and media studies at the State University of New York at Old Westbury. I live uh, here in New York City and also grew up in Brooklyn. And I have um, you know, two multiracial children, which also you know, sometimes shifts the way, right? Or it's opening up you know, different ways of um, of thinking about race, right? As someone uh, myself or who identifies as mixed and black, uh, realizing for you know a future generation, right? It's making me rethink um, different ways about how to think about race. You mentioned growing up in Brooklyn as a mixed race person. Growing up, what was one of the biggest challenges you experienced? Or I, you know, there's a few, and sometimes it goes through. I think so much of it is uh, depending on time and region, you know. But I think one of the big ones was being talked about or treated as if I was a problem or if I was an exception, right? Rather than it's not my problem, right? It's actually a problem that there's a lot of racism, right? There's a lot of um, and there's a lot of uh, you know structural uh, racism that are coupled with economic divides, and I think another big um, component was being treated as if I was very exotic, right, or very, uh, which, which definitely has a gendered right and sexual component to it that I think happens um, to multiracial youth at a very early age. Um, and being treated as exotic in a way in which being treated as if out of bounds, as if an exception, rather than really being treated as if I'm really part um, of the, this continuity of ways of thinking about different kinds of racial communities. Absolutely. Growing up, particularly for mixed race people, it's often a question of what are you? And in terms of the exotic component, 
or there's an attempt to classify mixed race individuals as monoracial. One of your areas of specialization is race and media representation in popular culture. So why do you think society, institutions, media, pop culture, et cetera, attempt to classify individuals who are mixed race as monoracial sometimes? Well, you know, one thing is I always ask, well, how do, how do these individuals self-identify? I think that's often left out of the, out of the question. And it's often painted as if um, it's one or the other rather than, right, for example, for myself, like identify as mixed and black, right? Maybe, you know, both at, at the same time. And I think part of that is the, the hesitancy to really grapple with our racial histories here in the US, right? That multiracial populations are not new, right? And again, that goes back to what I was talking about as treated as a, you know, exotic or as an exception rather than actually part of this, um, you know, very long legacy in the United States. Uh, so I think that's definitely a, a hesitancy to, to really wanna rethink our histories as well as a way to siphon off racial anxieties because we don't wanna deal with our histories in the US right? and the way that those histories still impact us today. It's much easier to put all of these traits that we associate with different racial categories, right, onto one person, right, rather than really thinking about a, a multitude um, of different traits or, or ways of being. And I, you know, I really think that gets down to really just a very narrow ways of thinking about racial identity um, that quite honestly usually work in favor of, of whiteness, right, or, or work in favor, right, of, of white supremacy, right, that white people are often allowed to be all these things, right, in many different ways, but different groups that are, that are categorized as non-white are often, right, very restricted in the ways that they are represented. I also think that has a lot to do with the tendency to equate visuality with race, right, and that visual appearance, right, right, we often think about, we can see race, right? We know race when we see it, right? So that tendency to rely on the ways in which we've trained ourselves, right? Or trained our eyes, right? To see race only in very particular ways. Right? Um, and when we're talking about mass media, right? Which is definitely you know, part of visual culture, right? That gets compounded, right? Of we're only able to see race in these very particular ways that are often very narrow, that don't necessarily comport right, with our actual, you know, racial histories and, and racial realities. In what ways do you think that public culture and public media influences the perception of race, specifically in terms of mixed race individuals? Oh, wow, absolutely, a huge, right, um, huge factor, All right? I think that's part of why we're talking so much more now about multiracial populations, right, is because of a growing prominence of um, self-identified, right, um, multiracial, right, celebrities in public culture, um, or even if they're not self-identified, right, of seeing, right, different, um, different appearances, right, of what it might look like, right, to, to be Black or what it might look like, right, to be Asian or Indigenous, um, opens up 
anticipate or sets the agenda for having these conversations about shifting ways of thinking about race. At the same time, hey, if you don't see it, if you don't hear about it, it's just we don't exist. And that was definitely one of my experiences growing up. And I think even growing up in Brooklyn, which is incredibly racially diverse, and it's one of the reasons why my parents moved there, right? They wanted to make sure that we were going to um, be surrounded by lots of lots of different groups. At the same time, you know, I think growing up in in media culture is like, okay, I'm seeing, um, I'm hearing about maybe Jennifer Beals, right? Again, you know, I'm aging myself, right? Cause I'm 41, right? Um, I'm, right, maybe, right? I'm, you know, hearing maybe, right? As I, uh, you know, got a little bit older and, you know, in, in junior high, right? You were like, oh, so it's like, you're like Mariah Carey, right? So I think there's ways in which if you don't see it and if it's not normalized, uh, media culture, right, especially these celebrities or films, right, really become these signifiers, right, for ways of, um, of different groups to relate to you, right, as well as a way for you to relate to your own racial identity. The problem is, is, right, is that often there's not enough of different kinds of representations. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much I could say, right, about, you know, about, about media culture, but, you know, I definitely, I definitely think it, it has a, a huge impact in, in terms of the way that we uh, think about ways, race, the way that we see race, the way that we relate to our own racial identity, um, how we interpolate other people's racial identities. And, you know, really you know, to say as well, it's, it's one of the, the major forms, if not, I would say maybe the most major form in which these racial anxieties are also struggled over, right? I like to say, like, it's never just a movie or it's never just an image, right? That all of these have meanings about the way in which our belief systems about race are being transmitted. Let's talk about that a bit more. So you talked a little bit about the structure of systemic racism in the United States and how that influences communities of color, particularly um, multiracial communities. How do you think that the structures of systemic racism in this country are reflected on media and what kind of impact does that have on mixed race populations? Well, definitely, right? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, focus often on representation, but we're often not really examining, right, is who's behind the camera, right? So who are the writers, who are the directors, who are the producers, right? Who gets to green light these kinds of stories? You know, and frankly, the, the way in which whiteness has become the default, right? Or the norm against which everything else is measured against, right? That people who identify as multiracial or of multiracial descent have often not been in charge of their own stories, right? Or of the ways and, and the, the various ways in which they might want to be represented, right? Or have their stories told. Right? And in that case, right, it's, systemic racism, hey, when we're talking about representation, but also in terms of the kind of production and who decides what kinds of stories and how these stories are going to be to get told, if these stories get told at all, right? Through which racial lens are they going to be told through? Shifting on to the next topic, in many of your publications, you write about 
um, gender representation and feminism. What do you think are the intersections between race and gender? You can't separate them, right, at all. So the way in which race, gender, I would say sexuality, right, class, right, national identity are really intertwined often in terms of the ways of, of who even gets to be seen as multiracial, okay? So there's often a when we're talking about multiraciality, what we're usually talking actually is about multiracial women, right? Because that's been the dominant image of a multiracial present and of a multiracial future, right? Just, you know, earlier, I talked also about exotification. And not to say that that does not happen, right, to, um, like two men, right, um, or people who you know don't identify as, as cisgender, right, absolutely exotified. But I think the predominant right way in which multiracial women have been exotified, which is deeply tied in with also usually sexualized, right, that the multiracial experience itself is gendered, right, because of ways in which multiracial women have been um, exotified, have been sexualized, have been uh, thought of as this is the future, or even things that seem like a compliment, right? Of, well, multi, you know, I want to have mixed race kids because they're so beautiful. Right, exactly. Right? <laughs> right? I was like, what? That's actually really, that's really, really no, that's, definitely. Like, that's like really like a fetishization, right? Of, of multiraciality, right? There's also often a, a fetishization Right, of women's bodies and ways in which these racial anxieties and desires are often also actually sexual anxieties and sexual desires right? that happen at a very young age. Right? Um, you know, read, I think this was, uh, you know, two years ago, uh, I was at the playground with my children and uh, someone came up to me and said, you know, I don't know who's more exotic, you or your children, right? One like success is very bizarre thing just to come up to someone and say, right? But it's often meant as a compliment, right? right? There's actually a, really a way, right? Of saying you seem out of place here, exactly, right? You're you're out of place here, right? Where you don't really actually belong here, and instead of being able to vocalize or express why they are feeling one some kind of discomfort. Right, that's often masked as curiosity, coupled with some kind of desire to know, gets really put often onto multiracial people, right, and individuals, right, or even think, think about how um, my daughter, um, you will love to come up and touch my daughter's hair. Oh gosh, right, <laughs> like what? why? No, <laughs> right? you don't know us, and it's and it's, and it's like this is COVID, right? This is <laughs> You know, especially if thinking about um, you know, how multiracial people, but particularly who are, who are gendered, right, as female, are often positioned as if they're constantly available, right? So they're constantly available, right, both racially, right, sexually, right, gender-wise, right, that they're really kind of just objects, right, are often treated really as objects, right, to, to quell the desires and, and anxieties, right, of the viewer. Right? And I think that's very much entwined right, with the way that we think about women in this society, right? That you know, women are, are, are often uh, you know, really positioned 
as their job is to uh, be these objects of, of sexual pleasure or to reproduce. And that's where I think so many of the anxieties about race and gender are, and sexuality are really coming to the forefront, right? Of uh, the way in which, uh, which interracial sex in this country has often been forbidden, but also coerced, right? Forced um, or right, right, consensual, right? But put in as if this way right, that um, it's a forbidden kind of love, right? Rather than thinking about well, what's the structural racism and sexism, right? That is seeming like it's making this relationship difficult. It's not that the relationship is difficult, right? It's that these, these other structures. Um, so there's a lot of anxieties about, about sex and our sexual histories, right? That are also stem with who's going to be the future of the nation. And women have traditionally been thought of as the reproducers of the nation, right? So if women are thought of to be the reproducers of the nation, right, what is that nation going to look like or be like? And I think that's also right, one of the main reasons in which why multiraciality has often been um, highly feminized. We talked a bit about sexualization of multiracial individuals as well as fetishization of mixed race youth, particularly. In what ways do you think the media contributes to that, either positively or negatively, and how should that be addressed going forward? You know, I tend not to like to think in terms of like positive or negative, but really try to think about like, well, what's the function, right? Or what's the purpose of of this representation, right? And think about whose whose power is building from that, right? Or whose power is being diminished, right, from these representations, uh, or from the lack rate of, or who gets to tell the story. Right in the first place, and so I definitely say right, mass media, and they're not the only ones, right? So maybe right, mass media, right, government, educational institutions, right, that are really um, helping to maintain right. What is your place? Who belongs here, and who should have power? So even if we're talking, for example, about um, multiraciality and, and gender and sexuality. Often the representations that we're seeing right, of multiracial women, they're not necessarily being sexually empowered, right? They're being sexually objectified, right? So, and I wouldn't say that's like a positive or negative representation, right? Really it's about, well, whose power is that helping, right? That's really helping a patriarchal kind of power, right? If we're talking about multiracial men, right, the next project that I'm you know, really thinking about is uh, more multiracial masculinity in sports. Because right, I think within right, film and TV, right, music, it tends to be women. I think in sports, actually, that's some of the ways in which we're seeing these right, racial and, and gender uh, and national anxieties, right, over literally like, what team do you belong to, right? Are you going to be, right, are you going to be with these guys, right? Should we see you, right, as, as Black and therefore threatening, right? Are you going to be Right, one of us, i.e., right, being able to assimilate into whiteness. Um, so I definitely think right, that the mass media um, and the ways in which we discuss right, uh, multiracial communities and individuals, the ways in which we visually represent them, the ways in which we often delimit right, or determine who gets to speak, right, or even what is considered authentic very much often controlled by the media. But here's the thing, I also don't wanna make the media seem like it's like this boogeyman, right? Because these media institutions, that's also us, right? It's not some, right, you know, it's some zombie, right? That's outside, right? Those are, uh, you know, individuals and institutions that are influenced, reinforced, but can also transform ways of thinking about race. Us as audience members, 
right? We also have power, right? Of what are we going to decide to watch? What are we going to decide to interact with, right? What kind of response am I going to have, right? So in like the meaning is like not out there, right? It's, it's really, it's part of our institutions of our society, right? So it's really part of us. As a society, what are some steps that you think we should all collectively take to be able to effectively address racism and its portrayal in our modern culture? Well, I think a big one is to acknowledge it right? <laughs> and really deny, right, that there's structural racism. Right? We're, we've been in denial for, right, really since, since the origins, right, of, of denial of how structural racism, right, shapes um, and continues to shape our lives. And another is to increase the kinds of stories and experiences that are centered. If we don't have those stories, if we don't hear it, if we don't see it, if we don't center these various forms of racial experiences, not only are we not listening, right? We don't care to actually address it, right? Because then it's only fitting in into the frame or the vision, right, that we have instead of, right, listening to these, right, different voices, right, and getting their input. Right, collectively. So I think those, I think, unfortunately, we're not even really at step one yet. Right? When you get to step one, right, and step two, right, and then collectively, right, have people come together right, to the table, right, to think about the power, right, to acknowledge, right, to hear the different stories about the power dynamics, right, the structural racism we have, and then target the solutions, right, whether it be from housing, who gets to live where, right? What kind of credits might we give, right? We often say that these things are too hard. And I say, no, it's actually not too hard. We just don't want to, right? Because we don't want to acknowledge that there's a problem in the first place, right? And we don't actually want to hear, right, the experiences and stories, right? Because it's too threatening to the way that we think about how we live our lives. Right? It's often threatening to you know, our, very, our very sense of identity, right? But you know, the third, I think after we're doing that, that, that listening, then we can really think about the, the healing, which can really also only be done with, as well as tangible solutions, right? Of, right, again, is it like anything from like, who gets to live where? What, is our, what are our schools going to look like, right? We kind of gave up, right, on desegregation. And you're like, this is too hard. It's like, no, it's not too hard. We just, we did not have the will. Right, to actually transform our institutions and transform the way that we think. I'm saying we, right? really what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about like us as a society, but right. really what I'm talking about is the structures of whiteness, right? That, that maintain right, white dominance. As a final question, at The Color of Us, the mission is to raise awareness, foster connection and conversation and elevate the voices of multiracial and multicultural youth. As we conclude our conversation, is there any advice that you'd like to give to my generation of multiracial and multicultural youth? I'm so excited, really, for right, your generation. I really am, you know, but one thing I would really, you know, say that I think I did not always have growing up, right, is that your voice and your right to be listened to matters, right? And your experiences might be different, right, than in the experiences of previous generations, Right, including mine, right? That right, I identify right as, um, right as, for example, myself like mixed and black. Right, the understanding like, oh, my my children's experiences might be very different than mine. Really, feeling empowered to have those experiences validated at the same time as gaining knowledge about the generations before, 
and why we are where we are now. You know, one thing I think that happened with different iterations of, um, of self-identified multiracials was not always, uh, was oftentimes discounting the past, right? And we can't escape the past, right? That's just gonna inform our future. And it doesn't mean that we're wedded to the past, right? But I think, you know, listening to the past, getting as much knowledge as we can, and then also realizing, right, that the way in which people identified or even strategized, right, the way in which people organized, right, we can learn from that, but that might not necessarily be, right, the future vision for you, right, that you also have, right, absolutely right, legitimate knowledge, and that should not be discounted. Thank you so much for your time and for being here on this podcast. It was great to get a chance to talk to you. Oh, great. Thank you so much for having me, right? That's, I'm, I'm excited for all of you, right? I wish I had a podcast like this, right, when I, was, uh, when I was growing up. So thank you so much for inviting me to be on and it was nice meeting you.